Welcome to Purifying Truths with A-Star. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Wow, today we have with us a phenomenal woman by the name of Monica Stevens. Now, what makes Monica phenomenal is that not only is she a registered nurse, but she's an educator for People's Choice CPR. Now, usually when we think of CPR, we get a little antsy, let the professionals handle that. Um, I don't know if I can. It's a topic that can be uncomfortable. So today we're going to unfold the layers. We're going to talk about why it's important and find out why Monica got into CPR. Thank you so much for joining Purifying Truths. Welcome, Ms. Stevens. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. So we know that you are an educator for CPR. Tell me what in the world got you into that? Because you're already a registered nurse. Aren't your hands full? <laughs> they are. But honestly, I've actually um, been a I've been an educator for the American Heart Association longer than I've actually been a nurse of any sort. <laughs> um, so <sighs> um, actually um, being an educator for CPR through the American Heart Association actually led me into becoming a nurse. It actually helped me find my um, actual calling, which turned out to be, I guess I kind of took the long way. <laughs> so um <laughs> But yes, actually, so actually CPR kind of helped me find my perfect fit. Uh-huh. And so why do you teach CPR? What keeps you in it? Um, well, honestly, um, part of it, it's kind of a twofold or a threefold or kind of an evolutionary thing. Um, I'm a God-fearing woman. And so as a younger woman, I studied journalism. I have a bachelor's degree in journalism where I minored in psychology. Um, I focused in or concentrated in public relations. And so initially I thought that I would be doing something more like you, um, you know, more with communications in the media. And mm -hmm. that's kind of not exactly where life took me, but I did always want to um, have my my own business, kind of be an entrepreneur for myself. I ended up, I actually, I was bartending um, for a restaurant at Applebee's and, you know, I thought I was just, you know, I just thought I was a superhero because I was super fast on the wheel. And, you know, if you, that's when you're making drinks for the restaurant and, you know, I could work the bar and, you know, I just, you know, I can remember telling God like, man, I'm a superhero. And do you know what God said to me, girl? Uh -uh. He stopped me in my tracks and he said, you think slinging drinks is worthy of superhero <laughs> Dead like that. He said that to me. And I literally said, oh, and I stopped, you know, and, you know, that resonated in my soul. And, you know, a series of things went on and um, I got into the trek of wanting to teach CPR. And it was kind of a funny story. Um, my mother actually is a registered respiratory therapist and she has been my whole life. So, or yeah, pretty much my whole life, all my, the life I can remember. And so she always was kind of a part of CPR instruction and she always thought it would be a cool business to have. And so being as I wasn't from a healthcare background, I, you know, had to study and immerse myself in that. And, um, you know, I was kind of looking into, I didn't even know I wanted to be a nurse. I was kind of looking into 
things that I wanted to do, um, medically speaking and, you know, so forth. And, you know, as I did that, like I said, I got into teaching CPR. I thought it was a really, um, you know, I thought it was a really cool thing to do, you know, as somebody who was interested in healthcare and wellness, um, learning and being able to save a life or help somebody else in need, you know, was just near and dear to my heart. And I thought that was a, you know, a, a viable business. And I wanted to make sure that I was, um, you know, it was something that I really, you know, had a heart in, something that I could really believe, you know, not just, even though I appreciate it and love being a bartender, but, you know, I'm not sure how that really plays into the wellness of, you know, of others. And now I could argue for a psychological socialization, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Um, so that's really how I personally got into, you know, teaching CPR, um, you know, that, that's how it's like, I guess, my truth. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. To go from, as you say, slingy drinks to teaching others to save a life. Phenomenal. Glad that you stop, as you say, slinging drinks and begin teaching others to save lives, especially during a time like this. It's needed. Um, you never know what you're going to see or when you're going to see it or who's going to need you. So please share with us, why does everybody, not just those in the medical field, need to know CPR? Um, everyone needs to know how to perform CPR because it is a life-saving skill. It is something that everyone could potentially be affected by someone knowing how to do it. By that, I mean, it could be you, it could be your loved one, it could be someone you know, or it could be a loved one, someone they know. So the fact that you're able to participate or to assist in a life-saving venture, I think is of the utmost importance for everyone. And I think everyone could agree that there's somebody probably in their life that if they had a situation where they were physiologically unresponsive, you know, where they could do something if needed. Many times I find uh, patients will say, I didn't know what to do. I froze. Um, the CPR help with that? Because it's one thing to know what it says in the book, but to physically, you know, do it is another thing. So do you help others overcome that as well? I personally do. That's a very, very good question, Amelia. And I do believe that, um, you know, I believe that God gives us all gifts. And I do believe that teaching CPR is something that he has equipped me with certain skills um, because people learn in different ways. And depending on your apprehension um, in performing CPR or the reason that you have perhaps anxiety about it, I may have different ways for dealing with that. So if you are in my class and you express that to me, um, that is something that I'll deal with, as well as if you are a repeat class participant and maybe I, you didn't mean that you had to come to me for your previous classes, but let's say that you are a veteran healthcare provider and you've sat through many classes, but sometimes perhaps you are not someone who has done it before. Maybe you are in large classes where you don't have the freedom to ask questions. I mean that more theoretically because typically instructors want questions, but I have been in situations myself where you're in a group, they just want to go home. So you're kind of silently encouraged not to really ask questions or to along the class, along uh -huh. the class, say. So 
I do deal with people um, and sometimes their nerves and issues that they have, especially because my classes um, are often in a small setting. So I have classes that are typically smaller with maybe three or four participants or private classes. So this gives an opportunity for those who have maybe specific fears or perhaps even issues in learning to be in a more comfortable atmosphere. With the American Heart Association, back maybe in 2010, there was a big push for increasing the percentage of people that would get involved if someone needed CPR. Because at that time, it was just about maybe 20 some percent here or there. And they were hoping to get that number of potential respondents up to about 40 percent. So they were pushing the hands-only CPR. And through the, their research, they discovered, you know, some of the reasons that I think people are apprehensive in um, doing CPR. And some of that is that you are concerned or that they are concerned that they don't know the proper way to do it. They're scared uh-huh. of being food. And, um, you know, and then, of course, you may be, you know, concerned about contracting something. Or, you know, if you're not, you know, healthcare oriented, you know, you may not know um, what body fluids are, you know, I guess going to carry disease or whatnot or, you know, be an issue for you. So, and I have to admit, I mean, if you see a stranger laying on the street who has foam and blood coming from the mouth, you're not going to necessarily want to put your mouth on their mouth and you may not have the supplies you need. So the hands-only push where the dispatcher would instruct the civilian or whoever to just place their hands in the center of the chest and press hard and fast. So that was something to hopefully increase the likelihood. Another thing is, is if you're just passively or kind of CPR trained, CPR has kind of changed over the years and you just may not be as confident because if you don't use it often, it is something that you can, you know, kind of jumble up and not be confident in. So, you know, kind of assessing those fears, um, those concerns, Some people are just more emotional or maybe they don't do well in those types of situations. So any of those situations that are brought to me during a class um, that I can deal with. I also do classes that aren't necessarily, they're not for certification per se, but let's say you just wanted to have more information or a brush up or you wanted to have your teenagers, um, you know, educated, you know, I do things like that as well. So um, those are ways that we can deal with um, people who may have, you know, kind of nerve issues or, you know, tensions, anxiety related to CPR performance or whatnot. Understood. Now, I know that when you're performing CPR, many times um, the big fear is that you're going to break something. And, you know, of course, that you're going to cause more damage than it's already done. Many people are trained, but they're afraid they're going to make a mistake or that they're going to be sued. God knows in the society today. What advice or what would you say to that person that knows how, but has the fear of repercussions? That's a very good question. Um, People are very litigious these days. So it is mindful. Um, First, you want to make sure that you are comfortable in your CPR skills. You also need to be um, comfortable with if you hold a professional license, what could happen based on your scope of practice. So you need to be careful, unfortunately, you know, where you're, you know, lending, um, I guess, that expertise. If you are at work and it's part of your working, you know, working responsibilities, then you do need to become more comfortable. Um, You need to perhaps revisit the information, Um, you know, maybe 
once a quarter, I would say, if you're not using it. If you don't have a resource at your facility or through your employer um, that you can access and kind of let them know, hey, you know, I'm not as comfortable. Do you think maybe I could have some scenario code set up? or perhaps I could have some time practicing compressions on a mannequin. Um, you know, if they don't have resources like that, this that would be the time where perhaps if it were a big enough concern where you might want to do something perhaps private. Now, you are required to have a American Heart Association, typically, um, or another accrediting body, CPR, done every two years if you hold a professional license. So you do have those. So just depending, I guess, on the person's, you know, I would just say they need to be honest and be assertive about acquiring their, you know, the skills that they need to be comfortable, especially if it's part of your responsibility. Now, if it's something that you want to do um, just to be a good Samaritan, you know, part of your church group, um, you want to make sure that you're comfortable, then this is also, you know, another situation where um, the private classes and a setting of your choice is something that would be, you know, really conducive for the learner because you can kind of choose the situation. If you want to do a one-on-one class, if you want to do it, you and your family, it gives people an opportunity to be comfortable, to take notes, to get what they need. So um, those are things that I feel that anybody could, you know, kind of pull out of their resource you know, toolkit if they wanted to, to make sure that they were comfortable and ready. Wow, those are phenomenal ways thinking out of the box, but also being able to be prepared when you have that, or if you have that situation, and you're faced with it. So I have heard of people having a DNR, and um, maybe the neighbor didn't know about it and was trained in CPR and went ahead and tried to or maybe even revive them. Are there any consequences for situations like that? And how is that handled? Mm, that is very good. And that is something else that I, um, there was something that you actually asked me earlier. I'm glad you brought this up that I meant to kind of reflect on because it does talk about your advanced directives. Um, so unfortunately, Anybody can sue anybody. So the neighbor that was trying to act in good faith um, could be sued by the family. Hopefully they would get a lawyer and that lawyer would then, you know, go to bat for them. And, you know, it would probably have to go before a jury and everything where they would, you know, probably hear the story like, hey, I saw my neighbor, you know, was down, unresponsive. I had no idea there was no DN- there was a DNR in place. I did what any, you know, what you know, I, I did what was reasonable. So I don't think that they would necessarily be successfully sued, but you know, you just never can tell what those sort of things. Um, so unfortunately, um, I guess in that situation, the more your neighbors know about you, the better. But um, you know, that's just that. I mean, that is just one of those difficult situations, unfortunately, because you can have your advanced directives not wanting, um, you know, CPR or any of those things because, oh, we were talking, You were that's what you asked me. You asked me if um, doing the CPR, people were scared that they would make it worse. Kind of getting back to that. Um, you can make it worse, but if they're dead, you know, it doesn't matter. So if they are wanting to live, Um, you know, and they're not breathing and they're not beating for themselves, you're going to need to do some sort of life-saving mechanism. These things are very traumatic. And this is why um, I think there was a big push for advanced directives, because when people were seeing these things done to their loved ones, um, 
they were pretty traumatic. And sometimes the things that when they do, you know, come out or their their chest cavity is crushed and, you know, things of that nature, they're bruised and, you know, they have the reactions to the medications that were utilized during the resuscitation. Um, those things do have effects. And so it is very important if you personally can discuss those things with your family, make your wishes known, as well as putting them in writing. So that way, when it comes down to it, most people will be able to assist you in the way that you want to be assisted. Now, as far as the public, though, that situation with your neighbor, they may or may not know what your wishes are. And that would just be up to, you know, the courts um, to determine who was at fault or what happened in that regard. It wasn't malicious in intent. Um, so I'm not even I don't believe it would be criminal or anything like that. Don't get me going. I'm not a legal expert. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Well, you know, I think what we can take away from this is it is very important to know how to save a life because the life that may need to be saved could be one of our loved ones. And understanding that time matters. You know, we don't always have time to wait for the professionals, to wait for 911 to arrive um, because sometimes it can be too late. Yes, ma'am. So certainly it's important to know what to do during that time where we're waiting so that we can actively wait. Monica, it has been a pleasure having you on Purifying Truths, opening up and sharing with us about CPR and, you know, just how transparent you are with helping those that maybe have difficulty or fears learning. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I definitely have had the pleasure to um, be able to think outside of the box a little bit and, you know, just been blessed through the years. I've had the experience of being able to actually interact with those where English may be a second or third language. So I think coming from a psycho, like a psychology background and having that bartender training, because really you're dealing with people's issues and concerns, it really kind of gave me some perspectives. So um, as far as teaching CPR as well as into then, you know, through that going into nursing. So it really has been quite a trek and, you know, they are kind of interwoven and, you know, things and topics that are near and dear to my heart. Yes, yes. So just want to transition a little bit um, because you said the CPR was first and then you became a nurse. So um, as you transition into nursing, are you still understanding you're an instructor, but do you actually use CPR in your nursing? Are you doing that type of nursing? In my time as a nurse, yes, I have used my CPR. I have actually performed CPR in codes and in long-term care facilities. Um, but at the, at the job I'm doing now, no, um, I'm not actively using it on a regular basis. But that's not to say that you couldn't need to use it on the fly or there wouldn't be a situation that could call for it. So. Absolutely. Absolutely understood. Wow. Well, as being a nurse and a CPR instructor, is there any advice that you would give to those in the audience for the remainder? What would that be? Um, I guess it would be a two-part takeaway. Um, I guess we should just go ahead and say that CPR is life-saving skill that is definitely worth learning. Mm-hmm. Um And also, if you are somebody who knows how to do theoretically textbook style CPR, if you're not comfortable, make sure that you're reaching out for extra resources and supplemental 
um, assistance. So that way, when you are, if you are called to act, you'll be able to do so because it may not be just at work when you're getting paid. It may be in your personal life affecting someone that you love that's near and dear to your personal, you know, your, you know, to your personal heart. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, we will definitely keep that in mind. And certainly, um, you said American Heart is every two years, but we can do our education more often according to how comfortable or uncomfortable we are to make sure that we're on our toes. Thank you so much for that. Now, what's next for you? I understand you do more than nursing and instruct CPR. What's next on your agenda, Miss Monica? Um, I'm hoping to kind of expand my health and wellness coaching, um, I guess, desires. I'm trying to get that up and running um, just so I can be more of a motivation to um, people wanting to improve um, their health and kind of increase wellness in their lives, kind of on a physical, social, you know, just wellness as a whole. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of exploring ways to be able to do that, um, utilizing technology more to do those things. Um, so you may see more, um, I guess, YouTube videos and those type, maybe even some podcasts for me coming up in the future. Uh-huh. Um, I think um, with COVID um, being not too far and not totally behind us, um, it really kind of allowed people to want to focus more on their health and wellness, want to be able to do more. I think just um, it's really kind of brought some things with the vaccinations and things up to the forefront that I think people are wanting to deal with, um, realizing that we have some not great habits and, you know, just trying to maybe establish healthier life patterns for people um, and, you know, maybe motivating, you know, them and while I'm doing it, motivating myself to be a motivation for others. So um, that's kind of where you can find me, of course, continuing and expanding my education efforts. So um, those are things that I'm looking to in the near future. Wonderful, wonderful. We look forward to following you and seeing the new things that you're embarking on. And so how can the audience connect with you? Oh, well, they can always, if you want some entertainment, you can always peruse my Instagram. (laughs) At um, Nurse Ratchet 81. I think it's uh, underscore Nurse Ratchet underscore 81. Um, I can be found on YouTube also at Nurse Ratchet 81. And if they would like to reach me personally for some CPR information or educational request, um, People's Choice CPR at Gmail is my email for those type of inquiries. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, you said Nurse Ratchet. Now, we all go somewhere else when we hear the word nurse and ratchet together. Tell us, how did you come up with that to represent you, please? Um, Well, during nursing school, (laughs) um, nursing school was quite a treacherous adventure. Um, I really wanted to document, um, you know, that and I I couldn't, you know, because you run out of time, you run out of sleep, you run out of energy resources, you run out of everything in nursing school. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me, or at least for me, you know, I was in an accelerated program, I ran out of everything. So um, Nurse Ratchet really was just a way for me to be able to freely discuss things that affected nursing, as well as maybe pop culture, as well as, um, you know, just kind of all the different arenas. And I didn't want to necessarily have to always come from a healthcare provider's 
um, kind of perspective. I wanted to be free to be Monica the Christian, Monica the woman, Monica the Black woman, Monica whoever, you know, whatever perspective I wanted to represent. I didn't really want to be boxed into anything. I'm kind of quirky and upbeat. So the Nurse Ratchet 81 kind of gave me a free-for-all where I didn't feel like I was anybody's um, anything. I mean, not to say that I'm, you know, doing a lot of ratchet things, but technically, if you think about the Nurse Ratchet character from um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Mm-hmm. That character is more kind of mysterious, uh, medical funny, not like the new Nurse Ratchet that's kind of a little wild that's on Netflix right now <laughs> and not necessarily Ratchet like some of the videos that we like to embark on. So I'm coming somewhere in between because really Ratchet, the way I spell it, is actually a tool that can be used in adaption and in problem solving. So um, it's a little bit of a wordplay that amuses me, but it's also catchy. So. <laughs> Love it, love it, love it. Well, Nurse Ratchet, we thank you so much (laughs) once again for being on Purifying Truths. It has truly been a pleasure with having you share with us. And hopefully you'll come back again in the near future and tell us about your new ventures. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure and I look forward to communicating with you in the future. Yes, yes. And thank you for tuning in to Purifying Truths with A-Star. Connect with A-Star on Facebook and Instagram at Facets of A-Star. Check out the website, www.facetsofastar.com. Tune in every Saturday at 9 and noon for exciting new guests who illuminate the world in the various facets of life. Shine bright.